that person, that identity just kind of ceased to exist for a while. And I became fully the noticing presence. I became my presence. I became awareness. I was able to notice all these things about this person I was. Like it made sense finally, just the idea of God and the interconnectedness of all beings and all things. Welcome to Simply Woke, a podcast about awakening experiences. These are the transformative events that connect us to our spiritual selves and personal truths. I'm Alessandra Johnston, and each week I speak with a different guest about how they woke up, what happened, what they learned, and how it shifted their life. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hello, hello, my Woken Up friends. Thank you for being here today. My name is Alessandra Johnston, and I'm your host today for Simply Woke. Welcome. Today I am speaking with Matt Kolak. He is a writer and musician based in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Once Matt hit 30, he went through somewhat of a midlife crisis in which he recognized that he wasn't where he wanted to be. He was deeply depressed and felt unable to connect with others. However, one night he was feeling particularly destructive and he decided to consume a variety of substances, including psychedelic mushrooms. And I'll be honest, when he first shared his story with me, I felt a a bit hesitant because his awakening was caused through drugs and I really didn't want to promote drug use as a way to experience awakening. However, Matt does a really good job at sharing his thought process during his depressive states And we get a really good sense of how he was perceiving himself and the world and how his judgments about himself caused him a lot of suffering. And I think it's really important to talk about depression because it is so pervasive in our society today. And as someone who loves psychology, I found this really interesting. I also remember reading uh, a study done about psychedelic mushrooms in which participants were able to heal their depression and anxiety with only one dose. So I was really curious to hear more. And in his story, he shares how the combination of drugs plus what he was learning in therapy was able to give him just enough psychological space so he could turn his perspective around just enough to see the truth instead of being totally and completely enveloped in his thought system. I know that's a bit of a mouthful, but I feel that Matt explains his shift in perception really well. So I'm really excited to for you to hear this episode, and I'd love to hear your thoughts about it. You are always welcome to email me at hello at simplywoke.com or message me on Facebook. You can find me at Alessandra Johnston. And if you're enjoying this show, then please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review it. So now let's have a listen to episode nine with Matt Kolak. Well, thank you so much for for talking with me this evening and being willing to share your story with me. I'm yeah, I'm really happy to do so. I love your podcast. I I I blew through all the the current episodes you have out there and I I just love that there is that podcast and you do such a great job with it. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, it it's been wonderful to hear everybody's story. Everybody's story has some, you know, similar elements. It's it, they're all stories of awakening, of course, but everybody has it seems like comes to it from a different angle and and that's really been fascinating to hear. Yeah, that's what I am finding so interesting about the whole process is that really, but you know, it, as you said, there are the, the core elements of, mm-hmm. of just what we're realizing personal truths. And that's what I'm, it's, it's a huge learning curve, this, this project of mine. 
Well, so far, so good. I, yeah, you're, you're clearly doing a great job. And, well, thank you. I appreciate that. So how did your brother's death in 2011 spark a change in you? Yeah, that was really the, the catalyst for everything that happened after. I had been um, living on my own. I, I moved from rural central Wisconsin, where I grew up, uh, to Madison, Wisconsin, which is the state capital and a much larger city, university town. And I was going to, uh, my plan was to go there to go to school for audio engineering and music production, which I did, but I ended up dropping out. And I, I, I kind of was embarrassed about that. I was embarrassed about how my life had kind of turned out up to that point. I was Basically, I I just turned thirty, and you know, I, I felt like my best days were behind me, and I was embarrassed about not being able to finish school, not being able to turn out the way I I was supposed to have turned out, according to whatever whatever story I had in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of just deliberately lost touch with a lot of friends and and most of my family members during that time, just because I, I felt so much shame and embarrassment about the way my life had been going. You know, in high school, I was, you know, kind of this, I went to a very small high school, and I was sort of not necessarily a golden boy character, but I, you know, I played three sports, I, I, I was on the honor roll, I was the class president and prom king, and everybody thought that I was, I was going to go on to do great things, but you know that didn't pan out. Life had a different plan for me, as it turned out. So your, your um, plan didn't come to fruition, and you were feeling crappy about it. No, and, and as, as I look back, I realized I didn't really have a plan. My, my problem back then was I, I felt like I was deserving of a certain a certain outcome for for my life without actually having to put the work in or to to go through the trials to make that happen. Well, just just kind of getting back to your initial question about how my brother my brother's death impacted me. I was I was um, feeling depressed. I had already gotten off the antidepressants and was I, I had gotten evicted from my apartment. I got my car repossessed. Um, I would occasionally talk to my parents here and there, oftentimes when I needed to ask for money. Um, I wasn't talking to my brothers or my sister or a lot of my old friends and uh, just continue, uh, just a continuous downward slide into feeling crappier and crappier. I was um, staying with some friends and then hanging out at, a, at another friend's place and she and I liked to you know, smoke a lot of cannabis and drink beer and play poker and just kind of numb ourselves together. And we had one of those nights. The next day I woke up and um, I got this call from my mom and she sounded like freaked out in a way I've never heard her freaked out before. And so I called her back and she mentioned that she got a call from uh, the sheriff's department uh, from this county in northern Wisconsin. And my brother had been rushed to the emergency room. He was an over-the-road truck driver. And this is my oldest brother. He's like 19 years older than me. So in many ways, like an uncle, but also like probably the person, my the sibling, I have four siblings, and he was the one who was the closest, I, I would say. Um, and Even I though you were 19 years apart? Yeah, yeah. Somehow we just, our, our brains kind of clicked and we were able to, to get along together. And um, Are you and the baby? Was, yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> By eight years. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
And so through the time, I was sort of estranged from my family, my brother. Uh, and, and like I said, I would occasionally talk to my parents, but I did also occasionally talk to to this brother. So my mom called. She was distraught. The, uh, my parents were living in Arizona, which is you know, 1500 miles away. They were freaked out because they couldn't be there in Wisconsin. And so I, I said I would drive up and make the two hour drive up to where my brother was um, at the hospital. He had had a seizure. Um, he was driving, he pulled into a, a rest area, thankfully. And then when he got out of his truck, he apparently just collapsed to the ground and started having a seizure. And that's when you know emergency personnel got involved. And then he eventually called my parents. And I think I was the first family member up there. And just by virtue of him having his his accident and me, I was able to set everything aside, all of the the shame and anxiety and and everything else about talking to my family aside to to go up and and hang out with my brother and kind of get the lay of the land and be the first one up there. And from then on, I was I was able to re- reestablish relationships uh, with my siblings and my parents. So as, as awful as that incident was, it did have the effect of bringing me back into the fold. Yes. And how old was he? Uh, let's see. He was uh, 52 when the incident happened. And then uh, the, the diagnosis he had was glioblastoma multiform, which is a basically stage four brain tumor, uh, essentially inoperable. That happened in April. He eventually passed away on uh, January 5th, the following year. So, so then, so even though in one sense it brought you closer or reconnected you back with your family on the other side, did it then re-trigger certain things for you? Not, I, I don't think so. I think it was just such a a heavy situation. It it kind of, it kind of gave me a break from all of my sort of selfish ruminations about about my my life and how my life was supposed to be going and all the shame and all of that kind of got got miniaturized in comparison to everything that was happening with my brother i was able to kind of let go for at least a little while of all that that all all that stuff i say selfish not i mean people who have depression it's like it's it's not a selfish indulgent thing but it it did kind of feel that way at the time. Like it, it, it gave me a chance to stop thinking so much about myself and to start thinking about others and to think about my brother. And, you know, I, I, I didn't have a job at the time. Um, and so I was able to help take care of him. My parents came up from Arizona to, to take care of him and I was able to help out. During this time, I was actually, uh, I, coincidentally, I started living in a motor home. My friend and I bought a motor home and like, we just had this dream of driving around the country and stuff in the motorhome. And so um, I was able to be anywhere. And so it was, that was convenient for me to be able to help take care of my brother. And then as the, the weather got colder in Wisconsin, my parents brought him down to Arizona to their home there. And I was able to follow them and just stay in the area and lend a helping. Which is perfect because I mean, once again, it's a, it's a, a bad situation, but made okay because you had yeah. the time in order to help out. Exactly. Yeah, it was. Um, it, it it's kind of kind of crazy how it all worked out. Where where I was just in a place in my life where yeah, I can I can be fifteen hundred miles away from home. Where, mm-hmm. Whereas my my siblings all had to attend to their jobs and families. That felt great. So as far as it like triggering anything or or 
or exacerbating any any of my mental health issues. It, it kind of did the opposite because it took me out of myself and it it gave me something to to work to on work and, towards and exactly and, and to be a service and to be helpful to other people other than totally. yourself. Totally, totally, totally. Hmm. Which is as 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 I'm, I'm sure you you know and like a lot of people who have worked through depression and other mental illness issues like that's that's one of the best things you can do to work through it is to kind of get get outside yourself and and provide service to others yes because i think part of the problem with depression is that you are too much in your own head and you're just constantly ruminating on these these thoughts and these feelings and it's hard to get out of yeah exactly exactly so so tell me what happened on april 1st in 2015 Sure. After my brother passed away, um, I was I was reconnected with my family. I had kind of cleaned my life up a little bit. I quit smoking. I stopped drinking so much. I started eating a little healthier. I uh, my friend and I sold the RV, the motorhome we were living in, and we decided that we were going to move uh, back to the Southwest and just kind of start over. And so, I my friend and I moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Completely different. Uh, the weather, the scenery the people, the food, everything about it was different from what I was accustomed to living in Wisconsin. And that seemed like a, a good thing to, to take advantage of. It's also warmer. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Much, yeah. The climate <laughs> is, is basically perfect here. Yeah. I, I envy you Americans. Why Americans choose to live in the northern part of the country, I do not understand. Because <laughs> I'm Canadian and I have oh, no warm okay. place to go. Yeah. So if I did, there's absolutely no way. Anyway, so so you moved to New Mexico. Yeah, yeah. And I I just kind of continued to build my life back up. Um, And I got a place of my own, which I started running again. I was a pretty good runner in high school. I did cross country and track and but just kind of fell out of it in adulthood. But I got back into it, started losing a ton of weight. I lost ultimately about 60 pounds started paying better attention to what I was eating and no no more. I mean, I still ate pizza and hamburgers and candy, but not nearly as much. I added some some fruits and vegetables and things to the mix too. Stopped drinking as much. And I got into my career as a freelance writer. I started getting, you know, higher paying, easier to work with clients. Uh, and th- things seemed to be a, on an upswing until I just kind of hit a wall a couple years into my my life living alone in New Mexico. I I was kind of isolated working at home as a freelance writer. I wasn't like making friends. My shyness and social anxiety kind of kept me in. I wasn't really dating. I wasn't really making quite enough money to feel comfortable like just being on the dating scene and going out and buying dinners and all of that. And so I kind of painted myself into a corner of isolation. And I was still feeling like, man, I'm well into my 30s now. (laughs) (laughs) This was not what I had in mind. Right, right. Past 35 with with 40 on on the horizon. And I felt like, well, I guess this is just as good as it gets. And so in the spring of 2015, I was just feeling increasingly kind of depressed. And there was a lot of rage and anger about my lot in life, too. And I was dating a I was actually dating a woman who was married, and that was this oh. whole weird situation. <laughs> yeah, like she she and her husband had an open relationship, so nobody was like sneaking around, and yet it was, you know. But still, um, that would be difficult yeah. to navigate through. Yeah, yeah. And so I was kind of second banana to to her husband, and and that, 
you know, just realized I didn't have really any healthy relationships in person with, with people like in close physical proximity to me. I just had this, this woman I was dating. I, di- I didn't see any way forward. I didn't see any way of improving my life. And I started like just becoming little by little more and more destructive, like started drinking again more, using more and more cannabis. I was looking up methods of just kind of out of curiosity, what are what are the easiest, quickest, most painless methods of suicide if I ever decide to go that route? And I'd never really looked into that before. I felt really depressed before, but never really felt like suicide would be a way out. And now at, at this time in the spring of 2015, I was at that point where suicide seemed like a viable option. I was watching a lot of episodes of the show Intervention, which is, I, I don't know if you're familiar, but yeah. it's a... It's a yeah, yeah, it's a show about addicts. Exactly. And I thought, man, that would be an interesting way to go. If I got addicted to heroin, let's say, I would I would feel really good on the heroin um, and it might kill me, which is okay. That seems like a like as good a method of suicide as any. Um, and if it doesn't kill me, then I'll probably overdose and my family will get involved and there will, there will be a big deal made out of it and, and I'll get sent to rehab. The thought process got very right. interesting, didn't it? Yes, it sure did. It sure did. And I thought I was legitimately considering this as like, this is how I'm going to do it. I'll either become an addict and require an intervention of my own or I will die from it. And that's that's kind of where I was. I had a tab open on my internet browser that was like just this list of suicide methods. And I was just kind of becoming less careful when I was out walking around the city, like not really paying attention to traffic. And if a bus hits me, great. You know, I kind of don't want it to but if it does all right you're, and i'm out of here yeah so the the thoughts just got darker and darker exactly. and you're getting more and more lost yeah I, so then how did you get out i um well i had a uh, just one of those dark nights of the soul where you know i was looking at that tab on my browser watching episodes of intervention and, and just kind of really immersing myself into that negative dire destructive headspace and i thought screw it. I'm just, I have, I have stuff in this house. I have like some vodka and whiskey and cough syrup. I'm just going to take all that stuff. And like, I don't know, whatever I could find in my house, I, I took, I drank, I ate, I found a bag of psilocybin mushrooms, AKA magic mushrooms in my closet. I hadn't really taken mushrooms since the night my brother had his incident and I had a really bad trip on them. And like I, I took very small doses here and there in the interim, but never again until this night in 2015. So this was uh, what, four years after your brother's? It was, yeah, it was about five years later. Um, okay. He had his incident in April of 2010, and then this was April of 2015. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So about five years had passed. I found those mushrooms and like I just ate the rest of the bag. I didn't like paying attention to the dose i just thought well whatever happens something will happen it'll be better than whatever i'm experiencing right now and i ran out of stuff to drink and so i thought i'm just going to go walk around which is you know i I would go on walks quite a bit anyway to go to the store just walk around and have Mm -hmm. something to do so i took all this stuff walked out of the house walked to the grocery store and got myself a bottle of wine and like started walking through the alleys on the way home just drinking the bottle of wine and throwing rocks at cars and like breaking branches off of trees and trying to <laughs> just like, being destructive in general over. yeah just kind of being like 
like a like a vandal sort of but also like not really going through with it enough to actually cause any damage it was kind of pathetic in its way <laughs> it's sort of like my own like my midwestern polite upbringing preventing me from actually going through with any of the violent acts which just made me feel impotent you know like i can't do anything right i can't even like vandalize things <laughs> drunkenly properly um yeah, <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. It's just I mean I know I know you're in such a better place now. Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 completely appropriate to laugh at that. I, I laugh about it now too because it's like man, just it's it's crazy to think that that's that that's, that's where you were. I was. Yeah, yeah. But then something like on the way home, as I was drinking the wine, I I was felt something shift inside of me where I just kind of looked at the sky and appreciated the sky for its beauty. And I just kind of felt like, oh, something is happening. And then it occurred to me, oh, yeah, I ate those those mushrooms earlier. And then I started getting a little freaked out because, oh, my God, what if I have a, have a bad trip? And, you know, all these thoughts are going through my head. But I, I, I don't know, I, I didn't really freak out that much. And I just thought, well, you did what you did. You made your bed, now sleep in it, just roll with it see what happens. So I, I got home and like continued to drink the wine a little bit. I smoked a little cannabis and like, I, I was starting to feel like, and it was starting to piss me off because I was, I wanted to like feel the high of being in this destructive mood, but I started feeling like happy and a little silly and a little like whimsical, which is (laughs) like, so the opposite of of the the space I was trying to get myself into. And And, from previous drug use mm-hmm. you wouldn't feel this way it's it had been so long since like i had had a i guess successful trip on on mushrooms or it had been so long since i like actually felt positive feelings from from using the cannabis or alcohol okay um, yeah. so cuz mostly it just kind of exasperated your anger and your frustration Right, right. The the mushrooms I, I hadn't really taken enough to to have had an experience that that would have been transformative or that would have put me in a different mental space. So I this time I had had enough for it to actually trigger something in inside of me that that kind of I don't know started giving me this little bit of a feeling of bliss. And I started um, at that time I had been seeing um, a psychologist who practiced acceptance and commitment therapy, which is a mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. And I was like into it intellectually. I thought, well, this, this is different. This I like the guy a lot. We have a rapport, um, but it just didn't like, I just couldn't see how practicing breathing exercises or doing meditation would, would help me out. But I just felt like, man, if anything is going to work, this is going to work, but it wasn't working. And then that night I started thinking about the concepts that my psychologist was was introducing me to, specifically this concept of psychological flexibility. And it occurred to me, now that I was sort of outside my head a little bit and had a little bit of perspective, that my psychology, my brain, my mind was just so rigid, just so brittle and hard and inflexible. And I felt like, oh, what's happening now is me becoming more psychologically flexible. This is what Chris, my therapist, my psychologist was talking about. This is what the book, there's a book called, um, oh, 
shoot, I can't remember what it's called. But anyway, it's it's like the main book for people involved in acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, and it talks a lot about this concept of psychological flexibility. And I could see that happening like outside of my own mind. I could see what it actually meant to be psychologically flexible. So at this point, you're kind of, for the first time ever, kind of stepping outside of your stepping outside of yourself, outside of your own thought process and being able to observe it from like a different perspective. Exactly. Exactly. It gave me just a little bit of space. So I wasn't in my head. I I could kind of see my inner, my inner world from the outside ever so slightly. And it just, I just remember thinking, just, just let that stuff go. Like you, you don't need to identify as like this, this, this misanthropic guy with these, these opinions and this, I was such like an angry atheist and I thought so many people were so stupid. You know? <laughs> no, I fully, I know that you fully understand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, yeah. Cause you know, cause you know, people are very stuck in their own thought process and if people don't, you know, yeah. follow into that, especially I think, as you said, if they're very, very rigid, yeah. And then everybody else is stupid mm-hmm. because you don't see yeah. it from other sides. Yeah, totally, totally. And this this kind of broke me out of that just enough to be able to to see like I didn't have to hang on to that stuff anymore. Like I thought, man, I have everything I need. Like it doesn't matter that I'm a certain age. Like I can do whatever I want. This is my life. Like I, I don't have to hang on to these opinions and values that I were thought I thought were so important to my personality and my identity. Like I realized like all those judgments I I had against certain people and certain ideas and certain ways of living, like, man, just let that stuff go. Just Mm -hmm. let it go. You can let it go. It it, like, it occurred to me that it was possible in fact to let it go and it wouldn't diminish my personality or my identity. So that I I kind of went to bed that night thinking something is happening. I closed that tab on my browser and, and I remember going to bed and thinking like, I want to revisit this space, whatever this space is, whether it's the mushrooms that caused it, it was, and honestly, looking back, it was all the things. It was this big soup that all came together. It was the therapy. It was the the stuff I was reading related to the therapy. You know, if I didn't have that in my head, it it wouldn't have worked out the way it did. Um, Okay. So it it just kind of all came together and all the puzzle pieces started to fit. And then you were able to kind of, as you said, step out. Exactly. And so, you know, the next day I, I wanted to go back to that place again and I did an ill-advised thing, which was to drink a bottle of Robitussin DM cold medicine, which has uh, the active ingredient dextromethorphan, which, you know, a lot of teenagers use to party, but I knew it actually is a dissociative that can kind of get you to the psychedelic space. And so I did that and had like actually an amazing experience on it, not one that I would advise advise anybody else to do. I cannot recommend that anybody do anything <laughs> that I did. For me at that time and place, it it worked out. And I I I remember thinking on that second night, April 2nd, 2015, which was my half birthday, just thinking, man, I'm I don't think I'm an atheist anymore. Like not that so, there's anything wrong with being an atheist, but I just I just was able to kind of break everything I was holding on to so closely, break it apart and and set it aside. So if you're no longer an atheist, it means that you believe in something greater than yourself. Yeah. So what was the sudden, what was this new spiritual truth that you were starting to realize for yourself? 
I just started thinking about like, why, why am I here? Why is anybody here? Why, why, why are there people who have these consciousnesses and are capable of having thoughts and are capable of feeling feelings are capable of tremendous bliss and tremendous depression? Like why, why is all that? And where does consciousness come from? And all these sort of like big esoteric, (laughs) right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, I don't know. I just, I just came to the conclusion that there's, it's it like, I can't, I'm incapable of figuring it out and and that's okay. Here we are. And there must be like, there's not like an individual being an entity. It's, I just kind of thought of the all of everything, the totality Mm -hmm. of everything that exists and all the energy and the entire universe that's God. And isn't it amazing that we're here? Isn't it amazing that we're able to feel these things? Like, how crazy is that? Like the big bang happened and now we are these people who have these thoughts and feelings and relationships. I, I just became. You were, you were in awe. Exactly. Exactly. And I hadn't, I don't remember the last time or if I had even felt that before. And I do remember feeling like just this weight. Like it, it felt like somebody literally lifted a weight off my shoulders mm-hmm. and I stood up straighter and I just, just exhaled and sighed and just, ah. You just felt, so just a major shift from fear-based ideologies to to love and oneness and and feeling all that there is. Almost instantly, yeah, yeah. Like just over the course of the evening and like, like everything I identified with, I started examining all of the statements about myself that I would, you know, that I held true Anything that started with the words I am, like I just kind of reevaluated those things and I thought, no, I'm not any of those things. I can do like whatever I want. I can identify my values and like do what I want and need to do in accordance with those values to live a rich and fulfilling life. I don't I don't have to hang on to any of that stuff. I don't need to live up to this idea of I am a writer or I am a, an intelligent person even, or I am a musician or any of these things that were important to me and that meant something to me that people know this about me. Those things just stopped mattering. And I thought what matters is being in the present moment. And then what do you do? It became less about who I am and what I do. So I, I, I stopped being a musician and became a person who plays music. I stopped being, um, you know, a, physical the physically fit person or i stopped being a runner and became a person who runs you stopped identifying with all these labels yeah totally and and that was that night which further kind of exploded the old mat and and gave me a glimpse of what i could be uh and then a week after that actually a week after the first on april 8th this whole process was sort of a week-long overnight shift (laughs) Um, I, I took mushrooms again, but in the, in the interim, I, I started doing some research on how people do them intentionally and for spiritual purposes, which would have been laughable just days before the idea that I would be doing this kind of research or, or trying to find ways to tap into my spirituality. And so I took a very intentional dose, sat in the dark, you know, took advice that I read from, you know, people like Ram Das. Um, and all these spiritual teachers who had had experience with psychedelic substances and just had a complete full, the, the final aspect of the breakthrough happened on that night where I 
experienced what they call an ego death, where I was sort of outside of myself, where like I was finally able to sort of reorder the 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 hierarchy of voices and and and, and beings inside my head. And I found like the real me is the noticing me, that ego me, the one who dominated up to that point. I could put him at a, on a lower rung of the ladder. So you went into like a dissociative state? Trying to, sorry, trying to explain the ego death yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. It's, um, yeah, it's, I, I guess technically it would be called a dissociative state. It's, it's, it's similar to what, you know, med- people who get deep into meditation can experience where you kind of, see yourself from outside of yourself. It's it's sort of like what I experienced on that first night, but much deeper and with much greater distance from myself, where like Matt Colick as an individual with these values and, and, and this set of experiences, like that person, that identity just kind of ceased to exist for a while. And I became fully the noticing presence. I became my presence. I became awareness I was able to notice all these things about this person I was like it made sense finally just the idea of God and the interconnectedness of all beings and all things and all matter and I saw and I I was able to see myself with love and with complete forgiveness and of course Matt of course this is this is what happened to you because of all these factors and your mind and like they didn't know how to deal with depression and stuff where I grew up when I grew up and like it's okay you can you can start again you can do things differently so how has how has your life changed since these experiences I think the, the big thing I realized is that I didn't really I didn't change from any of this I merely well not merely but what what happened was not a not a change but a like a removal of all the layers of of crap that had encrusted over me over all the years I had been alive, all the things that I felt like I was supposed to believe about myself. I was able to shed all of that, like a, like molting, like a layer of skin that no longer served me. I became, I, I kind of returned to who I was as a child, the essence, I was able to tap into the essence of myself, like who I really am. What do I really value? What am I really here to do? without all the layers of, of BS that had had covered me for, for so long. And so with that perspective and that change and that the ability to kind of love and forgive myself, uh, the ability to see that like I have limitless possibilities for my life, that that made everything that's happened since possible. I mean, I still struggle with all the same issues. I still have a tendency toward sort of mental rigidity and stuff, but I like I know how to deal with it. I know how to notice it, and, and, and you're able to kind of, of go back to the flexible, the flexibility more easily. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so, living my life that way, or having that perspective on my life, um, and from that point on, like my spirituality, my meditation practice is like the most important thing. I meditate every single day. Like sometimes I. I only get to do a few minutes, but I do try for two sessions of 20 minutes a day. So most of the time I only get one session in and, and that's okay. But I, I do it. I try to just kind of practice mindful living where I'm 
in the moment at all times. I just, just really trying to be present. Um, and that's improved my ability to like be in social situations. It's improved my ability to make, make friends and, and like develop relationships with other people in my life. It's improved my ability to focus on work and to not be so anxious about it and to not feel like, man, I've got to write this dumb article for somebody when I'd rather be, you know, like out running or hiking or watching a movie or playing my guitar. Like I can mm-hmm. like find if I, it's sometimes it takes some work and some practice, but I can find the, <laughs> that's the where bills. I am right now. Yeah. I have so much marking to do and I really don't want to. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's hard. That's, that might be the toughest thing for me is like, like finding a way to be mindful, to be present and to find the bliss in the, in the mundane. Yes. But I know it's there. Like the, yeah. that's the thing that separates me now is like, it may not seem like it's coming, but I do know it's there. I know that whatever, whatever pleasure I'm seeking, whatever bliss, whatever like feeling of satisfaction I'm seeking, that can be found in the work too, if I'm present with it. That's that's being a, been a big big shift, and then just sort of the the quality of the relationships I have with people has improved. Like I, you know, I mentioned I was with this, I was dating this person who was married, and she was just not a good fit for me. Uh, these days, my partner Annie, um, like she's amazing. Like I, mm-hmm. and I'm just I'm continually amazed that like like she's my person and I'm her person. You know, right now that's like. It's and you're just, just a good fit. Yeah, it's a it's a good fit. And like she's just like one of the most amazing human beings I've ever met, much less like known or dated. Mm-hmm. Or, you know. And that would not have been possible if I had not found my spirituality, found my presence, and kind of became more myself again and and, and scraped those layers off of myself. Well, thank you, Matt, so much. That was uh that's a great story. Oh, thank you so much, Alessandra. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to to tell the story. And yeah, I, no, it's. I think your your insights are are wonderful, and 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 you you explained it so well. So I'm looking forward to putting this out. What I find so fascinating about Matt's story is that when we are so stuck in our egoic thought system, it causes us to suffer. We get so attached to our ruminating thoughts about regrets from our past or worries about the future, that we can't see the truth. And for whatever reason, the drugs allowed Matt enough space to see his own thoughts from another perspective. But I don't believe that drugs are necessary for this. I believe there are many ways to allow the same shift to happen, and this is one of the purposes of this podcast, is to teach and share all the different ways that we can heal from the rigid boundaries that have been created for us, these boundaries that keep us stuck, It is when we are able to remove these boundaries and step out and see the world for how it really is, then we can come home and we are able to feel the peace and bliss that is our true nature. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please share it with a friend or pop open your podcast app and leave a five-star rating. This really helps others to find the show. I really appreciate you being here and listening. Enlightened love, I'll see you next week.